This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, welcome to the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. Evan Roberts, Mike Baseglia. You could follow him at Mike Delivers Pod. Uh, before we talk about the Nets... Are you okay that the Knicks keep winning or is this bothering you even more? Oh, it's bothering me. I'll be honest. But I, but I think Evan, like if somebody said, if you were a Yankee fan and the Red Sox kept winning and you said, even though the Yankees are great, right? They're, they're playing great baseball. They're going to win the, the AL East, but the Red Sox were winning. You'd be annoyed. So I don't think there's any shame in saying I'm annoyed that they're winning. It's just, I would, I would equate it to that example for a Yankee fan that dislikes the Red Sox, even though the Yankees are playing well, you want to see the Red Sox be punished. So it's something like that. that. That's all it is to me. All right. I'm just, I'm just making sure. See, I, I sometimes go out of my way to try to be as honest and fair as I can. So after the Knicks won on Saturday night, and they got to 500. There was a video that surfaced of Nick yes. fans really celebrating outside of Madison Square Garden. And the tweet was kind of mocking of them. Oh, look at these Nick fans celebrating 500. And I came to their defense because it wasn't that long ago. In fact, it was exactly two years ago where you and I and most Net fans sure. were celebrating that 2019 team. How much fun they were. They got to 500. It was a big deal. We obviously finished above 500, won one playoff game. I don't know where this Knicks season is going, but I do try to respect that. That's how I felt. That's how you felt. Now, the problem is after I tweeted this, you know, supporting, hey, it's okay to celebrate. I checked my mentions and I'd say like 40% of them were Knicks douchebags. So I kind of had to reconsider being as uh, benevolent as I was. Well, I mean, I, I also think this to add to it, people haven't been to live events in a year or haven't been to anything. So it's, it's a culmination of I'm with live people. I'm hanging out. It's a party. So it's even more than just, hey, the Knicks are good and they're 500. It's like, hey, I'm with my fellow Knicks fans. We just got to experience a win in the garden. So I can That's completely right. understand that part of it, too. Like, it's a double whammy. It's not just we're 500. We haven't been to a game in a year I'm or whatever it is. So it's a double I'm whammy. With you. I, hey, I don't like the Knicks. I think I, I want them to lose every game. But at the same time, I can rationally respect and understand why they're excited and why they're if i were them i'd be excited too I damn right you see we opened up this week's edition of a brooklyn net podcast not Ugh. by taking shots at the knicks but saying hey we get it we respect it now let's get to the one team in town that has a chance to win an nba championship the brooklyn nets here's to me the headline from this week and i'll explain my reasons for this I'm just annoyed about the handling of the Kevin Durant injury because when we talked a week ago and even a week before that, you know, I kind of believed, I got naive. I started to believe what the Nets said, which was he'll miss a couple of days. It's a hamstring issue. And now all of a sudden, how many games is he going to miss before he plays again? We know he's going to miss the All-Star game. He missed every game after the Golden State came into the break. And I think what just pisses me off, and this has been going on for years, the Nets never seem to be fully honest about the injuries that they're dealing with. I'm not criticizing them for being cautious with Kevin Durant. We all agree they should be cautious with Kevin Durant. 
but it just feels as if they tried to downplay it at first. And now the guy's going to miss a couple of weeks. So that's why when they made the announcement a few days ago, all right, he's going to miss every game through the all-star break. It just kind of pissed me off. Which is understandably so. I mean, last week when I joined you on the podcast, I think I said that he would return for the Barclays Center games. Obviously, I was dead wrong on that. He has not, and he will be out for an extended period of time. And then, you know, it, it does get you worried because I understand the cautious side of things. And hell yeah, why not be cautious? I mean, there's no need to rush him back. Why not? But then you get scared. Like, why is he missing all these games? Is the injury worse than we thought? Is there a reason to be concerned? And that's the part that keeps creeping into my head. I'm with you in understanding the frustration with the Nets, but I'm getting to the point I'm just scared. I want to win a championship. I want Kevin Durant on the floor. Eight-game winning streak was nice, but I want to be greedy. I want to see the boys all out there, the whole group of guys there. And I and I I miss that. I want to see that. And I'm, I'm now I get concerned and worried about Katie's actual health. Yeah, and look, I, I know a part of it is COVID protocol, but going into the All-Star break, they obviously have two more games before the break. Kevin Durant will have started 18 games. I don't include the 19th. That was the Raptor game. I don't even include that as a game played by Kevin Durant because it was Fugazi with the way the NBA didn't let him start the game. Then he comes in, then they take him out. So the guy has basically played 18 games. Going into the All-Star break, the Nets will have played 37 games. So do the math. He will have played one game short of half of the Brooklyn Nets schedule. And a part of it's the hamstring. A part of it is COVID protocol. A part of it was the self-choice of resting on back-to-backs. I, I, I don't know what the second half is going to look like, but that part just kind of sucks because in the 18 games he's played, and he's played big minutes in those games, which I've gone on yeah. record as bitching about, but in those 18 games, the guy has been utterly brilliant, and I think it's just frustrating. Ah, that'd be the word I'd use. It's just frustrating that going into the break, we will have seen Kevin, DeBr- Kevin Durant play in slightly less than half of the games the Brooklyn Nets played. Yeah, everybody's talking about the big three and how dynamic the big three can be and how great the big three can be. Well, it's like, well, right now the big three is with Joe Joe Harris. I mean, we haven't seen the three together. It would be nice to go out and watch them play and get frustrated, Evan, like, oh, Kevin Durant's not playing on a back-to-back. Oh, Kevin Durant's sitting out because, like Kyrie Irving did on Saturday night because of shoulder maintenance, because of, you know, Achilles maintenance. I want to see those. But at this point, it's been... Kevin Durant's COVID issues, Kevin Durant's missing time because of a hamstring that they're being extra cautious about, which, again, I understand. But at some point, we're going to get down the stretch and we're going to be in the second half of the season, which is almost here, where we're going to get to the go point where it's we need to see these guys together. And they can't just be the big three that starts in the first round when they see the Chicago Bulls on a Saturday at three. It needs to be all of them together for an extended period of time to get some reps together because they're they're going to need to play some time together. And and you just, you know, you keep your fingers crossed that it's coming and then it's going to come together because it's seven games, uh, seven games. That's nothing. That's it. I mean, that's that's the totality of the amount of games these three guys have played together. Now, the positive is. It looks like their chemistry was there in the games they've played together. Agreed. And, and that's a positive. And 
other pieces on this team, Joe Harris, Timofey Luabo Cabarro, Bruce Brown, they're all developing that chemistry with Kyrie Irving and James Harden. And probably more important than anything, Kyrie Irving and James Harden has been developing their chemistry, and it's looked brilliant over the course mm-hmm. of this winning streak. I mean, seven of the eight games on the eight-game winning streak was led by the two superstars of James Harden and Kyrie Irving. So that is an absolute positive that I don't want to minimize. And I do think that the three have looked really good together on the floor at the same time. So it may not take the traditional amount of games that we would think it would take to gel. But still, I mean, you want to to see them play together. And I think there's this fandom selfishness that we have because I'm told all the time by non-net fans and with good intentions, by the way, that none of this matters, right? That the regular season doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. And it's not being said in kind of a dick way. It's not being said as don't be excited about beating the Lakers or the Clippers. It's being said in that you're a playoff team. You're a championship caliber team. Your win against the Orlando Magic, no one's going to think about come May. It's all about May, June, July. And I respect that, and I even agree with that. But as a net fan, we have never had a just fun, coasting regular season in a very long time where we got to see our guys play and got to see our guys dominate. So. I get it. This all may not matter come May, June, July. But I think for a lot of us as diehard fans, we wanted to cherish every game where we got to see all our superstars on display kicking ass. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've we've been waiting for this moment with the Durant and Kyrie signings. We had to wait a year. And then the James Harden trade that went down. Yeah, I want to see him win. It feels good to win. And as sick as it is, it does affect it. It it shouldn't as much. But my day-to-day mood, I do feel better (laughs) after the Nets get a victory. So you know what? I want to see more of them. I want to see more victories. And truth be told, I mean, if fans are in the building and we're getting to a point where home court matters, I want a game, you know, a game seven, a game five versus the 76ers in Brooklyn and not in Philly. I mean, that does make a little bit of a difference. I would enjoy the home court on that side of things. I get it. If you're, I get it. If you're going to be a championship team, you have to go win on the road, but there would be a, it would be nice to get the one seed too. I mean, let's get, let's, you know, let's go for it. Let's have the well, home court versus the Sixers. Let's have the home court versus I, the Bucks. Why not? I'm with you. What's kind of cool though is that despite all of this, despite the fact that they made the Harden trade a few weeks into the season, Kyrie has missed time, KD has missed time. They weren't defending earlier this season, despite all the little issues they have faced. They're right there. I mean, they are a half game behind the one seed. I mean, they're barely ahead of Milwaukee, too. But the point is, despite everything we've seen in this weird first half of the year, here they are right there as a number one seed in the Eastern Conference. So I agree with you. I'd love to see them win it. I have no idea games played wise what it's going to look like in the second half of the year, because you never know when Kyrie Irving's going to have a maintenance day or a legitimate injury. And the same thing now with Kevin Durant. So I don't know how many games played are going to be in the second half of the year, but the good news is, bro, they're they're right there as a number one seed. Yeah, they are. And I think the playoffs are the last game of the regular season is May 14th. And it does feel, and I said, I just said, I want them to win these games, but at the same time, but you're right. It does feel as if we're just counting the days until we can get into the playoffs. And that's why it was encouraging to see the Nets turn it up a level and not just have that complacency like, hey, let's wait till mid-May to play basketball basketball games. It was great to see them at least like giving effort in this eight-game winning streak, playing defense, doing the things that they did not do in the Detroit game 
and and flipping a switch to play better and that was encouraging and i just want to i just want to keep winning you know i i if you're a nets fan and you've been through all the bs and you've been through all the bad losing you saw some of the crappy teams it's just time to dominate and be a great team and you saw that the dna is there but you know, the, it, it, it's just, it's just time. I was a little annoyed by some of the, it, there's been a lot of little injuries here and there with some of the bench players, even besides what's gone on with Durant. So there's just been a, it, it, maybe the all-star breaks coming at a good time where everybody can just get refreshed, restarted, and then move forward. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm talking like the team has been playing bad. They have, they did win eight in a row and they're on a one game losing <laughs> streak, but it just, I mean, it, this is what it's like. He's like, you win, you lose that one, and then you, too high and too low, your mind goes into a bad place and well, starts going down avenues the, it shouldn't sometimes. The, the Dallas game sucked. I mean, I, I totally get it. It was virtually non-competitive. They had a couple of runs in that game where they would get it within two and get it within four, and Luka and the Mavs would always respond. They'd hit a bunch of threes, and it, it never felt – I texted this to you during the game – it never felt like a win, but – they did have an eight-game winning streak. What I loved about the eight-game winning streak, besides you know the West Coast sweep and beating some really good teams out West, is when they came home against Sacramento and Orlando, two bad teams, two lousy teams. That would have been the letdown we expected. You know that would have been the non-defensive effort we expected. And what was great about the King win and the Magic win is, yeah, James Harden and Kyrie Irving were pretty brilliant, especially James Harden but there was a bench piece in each game or not necessarily a bench piece, but a role player piece in each game that stepped up and played really well. Bruce Brown in the Sacramento game was freaking awesome to the point where he had a couple of threes. I mean, do the math. Mm -hmm. I think he had hit two threes all season long and he had two of them in the Sacramento game. He's got that little floater that works, but the best part about Bruce Brown is that he defends. He's six, four, and yet it feels like he's playing the five half the time and he's always on the ground trying to make plays. And Bruce Brown is so freaking necessary for this team. And I tried to get not get annoyed about this, but earlier this season, there were three straight days, four out of five games, where Steve Nash wouldn't even play Bruce Brown. Yeah. He was a garbage time minutes guy, and it all started to change in the Utah blowout. Mm -hmm. And since then, for the most part, Bruce Brown is not just a guy who is important, but he's a starter playing 25, 30 minutes a night, and he should. He's necessary on a team like this. And that Utah game was when KD and Kyrie did not play, so he was almost forced to play because of a lack of people on the bench. But then he started the game, and he came out of nowhere and was on fire, brought energy, and you saw it from Pep in the step of the Nets. Yeah, he's been fantastic. That's been uh, you know, the low-key best offseason move from Sean Marks dealing Musa to get – uh, Brown here to the team who, you know, Musa, whatever he was, now you got a guy that's legit part of your rotation. And he's like the perfect compliment, Evan, to what the Nets have with superstars. He's a guy that he has that feeling of like, no one respects me. I'm going to go out there and prove everybody wrong and just do all the dirty work that you need on a team that needs to win a championship. They need guys like that. And anything that hits from the perimeter is an absolute bonus. So he, he to me, is the the perfect glue guy for these nets. And it got me thinking like from his recent good play, what does that change the landscape of what they go and try to get from a center position? If they try and get a drum and if he becomes available or DeMarcus cousins, or if the nets feel a little bit better about Claxton there, Bruce Brown's play. And then Deandre Jordan in, in, in spurts.
No. Now, to answer your question, it should not change their view on adding a big to this roster. Nor Nicholas Claxton. And look, I'm glad Claxton's had a chance to play, but let's be honest, the, the reason he's had a chance to play initially was the injury to Jeff Green. And you saw that in the Dallas game when Jeff Green was back. And in the first quarter of this game, even though KP, who everybody the Nets put on him, KP was having his way, mainly because he's got the height on everybody. He's seven foot two. I thought that was a perfect time to maybe even start Nicholas Claxton or at least play him in the first quarter of this game. He never went to Claxton until late in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. He finally went to him. And I don't know. I mean, we've seen him play three games since coming back from injury. I think he's got great potential. I really do. I don't know, though, if he is going to be a guy come May and June who you're going to want on the floor playing 15 or 20 minutes a game protecting the rim. He deserves the opportunity right now, no doubt about that. But I don't know if he's going to be the answer. So I think the, the addition Sean Marks has to make pretty much remains the same. And that's going to be dependent on if they're able to trade Andre Drummond or if he's going to be a buyout candidate. If he's a buyout candidate, it's a freaking no-brainer. I just don't know if it's going to come to that. I I tell you, Landry Shamit's played a lot better, and that's been good to see. And it's – I don't know about you. It's made me feel a little bit better about Jared Allen's dominance in Cleveland, though Joel Embiid did whatever he wanted to him the other night. Because the reason why – at least this is the reading I've done on the Harden trade, that they had to include Jared Allen, who didn't end up in Houston. So let's keep that in mind. He ended up in Cleveland, was that the Rockets wanted an extra first-round pick. And so – it made you think back to trading the first round pick for Landry Shamit. Now, essentially that was a three team trade. So really they traded Musa and a first for Landry Shamit and Bruce Brown. You kind of have to look at it that way. That's why they didn't have a first round pick. They had to use Jared Allen to get a first round pick to then send to Houston. If Landry Shamit and Bruce Brown play this way, not that I would trade or I wouldn't trade those two for Jared Allen, But that's the reason they didn't have a first-round pick. And if those two guys are going to be useful contributors to this roster, maybe it's just me. It makes me feel slightly better that they then had to use Jared Allen in the trade. Do you follow me here? I follow you completely. And then I guess if if to to, to piggyback on that, if they are able to sign a veteran center, you look at it like here's the three guys that you have instead of Jared Allen. Yes, if it's... If it's the Landry Shamit that we saw in the first 15, 20 games of the season, you want to vomit. But if it's the guy we've seen now, you feel good about it. Confident, taking the ball to the basket, creating his own shot, shooting threes, defending. defending. Landry Shamit becomes an, an integral part of this team because no Spencer Din- Dinwiddie perimeter defense. Landry Shamit almost becomes like your pseudo Spencer Dinwiddie. He's not as good as him. He doesn't have the ball handling that he has and Spencer's ability to get to the rack. But in in the same vein, you just feel like you have a guard that gives you a little bit of leadership and a sense of of calm off the bench that you get with Shamit. So, boy, it's funny. Like with this Nets game, one you saw versus or um versus Dallas, the the role players did nothing. In the wins that they had, it's like look at that Phoenix game where the Nets did not have did not have Kyrie. Obviously, did not have Durant. Harden came back and carried the team, but everybody around him was playing so well. Tyler Johnson didn't play. He was great. Shamit was good. Joe was good. They were getting contributions from everybody. TLC, I think it was the Laker game or was the Clipper game where he had the five three-pointers. This game, TLC versus um, Dallas, he missed four threes in the oh. third quarter. They could never recover. He was awful. 
T TLC <laughs> is all or nothing. I mean, either TLC is mm-hmm. brilliant off the bench so or true. he's what we saw against the Mavericks. To the point about Landry Shamit, and I'm glad you mentioned defending because that's been the part of his game. I mean, I, I think when we think of Landry Shamit, we think of a guy that they brought in here to be another shooter to put around Durant and Kyrie Irving. And since he got benched, remember he was benched for the Miami back-to-back and one of the, I forget the game that was right after that. Since the benching ended, Shamich's hitting like 37, 38% from three, but he's defending. He was a big part of that Phoenix game, playing 30 minutes that night, defending Devin Booker down the stretch. So yes, it's the confidence in the shot that's come back, but also his ability to defend that's really, really helped out. So look, you're going to win an NBA championship and that's what this is all about. Yeah, we're always going to talk about the stars. That's going to get the attention. You need guys like this to contribute. DeAndre Jordan sometimes looks interested in playing basketball. That helps when DeAndre Jordan is motivated. That helps when Jeff Green is healthy. He has been great in the first half of this season. And and you're right. You mentioned this earlier. They kind of need the all-star break. And I think a lot of teams do. The Nets aren't alone in this. But they got a lot of nagging injuries right now. Uh, Jeff Green, obviously, who's now questionable for the game on Monday against San Antonio. TLC still dealing with that hip contusion. And the thing about Kyrie, because I do want to address that, I I think there's a part of us that just assume it's a maintenance day because it came out of nowhere. And now I don't even think he's on the injury report for Monday's game against the Spurs. And it probably was. All right. I'll, I'll preface it. It probably was. But Kyrie Irving is hurt every single season. Like, we can't forget that. Kyrie Mm -hmm. Irving has an injury every year, basically, of his career the last five years. So anytime Kyrie sits, there is a part of me that wonders, uh uh-oh, is this the beginning of something? So you got to be careful with this guy because I give James Harden credit. James Harden goes out there, and I'll knock on wood when I say this. He plays every game. He plays 35, 38 minutes a night. He hasn't had injuries for the most part throughout his career. But even when Kyrie gets a maintenance day, if that's what it was against the Dallas Mavericks, there is a part of me that worries based on his history. I used to produce for CBS Sports Radio, and I have on my Twitter alert all the big-time NBA reporters, analysts, and newsbreakers. And anytime one of them has a tweet and I see a net there, I get terrified. I've gotten to the point where I have to turn off the alerts because <laughs> I see Kyrie Irving and I'm just like, you know, the ceiling's falling down. The walls are caving in. What's about to happen? What is going on with Kyrie Irving? And then you have to, I read the tweet three or four times, like for this one, for example, and then I realize, okay, this is really just a maintenance day, but you're right. Every year there's something that happens to him. Every year there's an injury that starts. And then bringing back your original point about Kevin Durant, how the Nets treat everything, you see a tweet and it could be spiraling into something completely different. And that's where you start to get scared. So, hey, you know what? In the long run, if it means that they lost on national TV to the Dallas Mavericks, maybe they'd lose the game anyway because Kyrie Irving had to sit. Who cares? Also, by the way, Evan, I did see, I, I believe I saw Kyrie Irving. He had his cell phone in his pocket on the bench over there. I, I, saw, I saw that for a split second, and I wanted to make a note of that. <laughs> what was he doing? Was he texting? Was he tweeting? I think he was he, uh... took his phone out of his pocket and looked for a split second. I saw that. That caught my eye. Well, what do you think he was looking at? I mean, he I may have been he looking at cell, the... He had a cell phone on his bench. I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> hey, remember okay when we it. beat... We beat the Philadelphia 76ers in game one in 2019. It wasn't that the whole controversy that yeah. Joel Embiid and a teammate had a cell phone on the bench. And they were yucking it up as they were getting their butts kicked. 
that was a beautiful game one too. Yes. Yeah. So it's been all downhill since the Nets have lost eight That's straight true. playoff games since. If you include the uh, final four of that series and the four against Toronto in the bubble. I mean, you know, I, I will say something that's now obvious. Okay. I will declare this once and for all. Looking at the way this team is built right now in the moment and looking at the nervousness we have about Kyrie Irving staying healthy. And obviously the time that Kevin Durant has missed now with a hamstring issue. I got to admit, thank God they traded for James Harden. I just, (laughs) I have to say it. And, and here's the one defense I'll make for myself. And you could check back the archives of the Evan Roberts podcast. You and I did a podcast about, I think it was a few weeks before the season started. And it was right around when the James Harden rumors really hit for the very first time. And you and I were both against the James Harden trade. I'm not going to shy away from that. But I did put one positive on trading for James Harden. Mm. I said to you, look, the one real positive, if they ever made a deal for Harden, is that the guy goes out and plays every single night and we've got to worry about Kyrie Irving and we do have to worry about Kevin Durant coming off the kind of injury he came off of and so acquiring James Harden gives you more security in case someone gets hurt and what's happened during this winning streak before it ended against Dallas is the Nets looked so good with Kyrie and James Harden leading the charge and I'm sure you had this thought where I said to myself wow God forbid we ever lost Kevin Durant for the playoffs. We could still come out of the East. Now, I'm not saying we would come out of the East. I'm not saying I'd be confident about that. But I was thinking we're a contender, even if we lost our best player. There is no team in the NBA that could actually say that. If the Lakers lost LeBron, they're done. If the Clippers lost Kawhi, they're done. If the Bucs lost Giannis, they're done. If Philadelphia lost Joel Embiid, they're done. If the Mm. Nets lost Kevin Durant, not saying we'd win it, not saying we'd even be favorites, but they would be a legitimate contender to come out of the Eastern Conference. If they had not made the Harden trade, as much as I love Jared Allen and love Karis LeVert and want to hug all the draft picks, they would not have been a contender. They would have been barely a 500 team. So I don't know if this is a mea culpa. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm just being honest. Watching this team every, you know, five seconds Thank God they made the Harden trade because it does give us injury protection. Well, kudos to James Harden because he's like reinvented himself again. And this is another version of James Harden. You got the Oklahoma James Harden. You got the Houston, a couple of versions there. And now coming to Brooklyn, I know he had high assist numbers in Houston, but coming over to here, he has changed his game again. And I don't, the, 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 the MO on Harden was when he was in Houston, nobody wanted to play with him. Nobody wanted to be around him, but this James Harden is getting little slip passes into the big man, looking for passes on the perimeter lobs to Deandre Jordan lobs to Claxton hitting it outside for Joe Harris. He looks like he's fun to play with and it from just using the, the eye test, everybody seems to be having a good time and the winning will help that. So James Harden to me, He's done a great job in changing the way he's played and he has come to Brooklyn and he has become the ultimate superstar and passing the ball, putting up shots when he needs to. I mean, he, when he first got to the nets, he was like, he had like games where like seven shots. It was absurd. Now he's kind of (laughs) finding a little bit more of a balance and that's been a big part of that, but you're right. He is there. And, and also 
you know, Evan, the East is so bad that that's what makes it feasible and possible. And the Nets have to take advantage of that. And that's why you just get so excited with Durant's there and they're all together. What's the possibility of this team? But I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I was, I was terrified when they made the trade. And something that's calmed my nerves about it, besides James Harden's great play, is I was worried that they depleted their bench when they dealt Tory and Prince, who I don't think I've even said Tory and Prince's name in a month. But they've, you know, they don't have Tory and Prince, but other guys have stepped up. Sham, it's been better. Um, he's been a big plus off the bench that wasn't there before. Um, so I, I think things like that have made a difference where they've lost the depth, but because other guys are starting to play better behind them, it doesn't even feel as if they took a beat. You know, Levert for Harden, no brainer. And then the, obviously the size centers the big difference, but role players have stepped up. Harden's changed, changed his game. And yeah, I don't think the Nets would come out of the East, but I still think they could make it to an Eastern Conference Finals even without Durant. I was looking at this recently, and this may not mean much. It may not be a big deal, but I'll throw it at you. In the games where James Harden and Kyrie Irving have both played, whether it's with Kevin Durant or without Kevin Durant, and obviously the latter part of this winning streak was without KD. The last seven of the eight-game winning streak was without KD, one of which Kyrie didn't play in, which was the Phoenix game. James Harden always takes fewer shots than Kyrie Irving. Mm. Not by a lot. You know, sometimes it's close. Sometimes it's... 22 to 20. Sometimes it's 17 to 12. Sometimes it's 18 to 17. But I found it interesting because I looked back at it to see because I always thought what was going to make this chemistry work between those two guys specifically was Kyrie Irving buying in. I, I wasn't nervous about James Harden buying in because he demanded his way here. He wanted to come here knowing who was on the roster. And it just would have been odd for Harden to get here and be that same ball dominant self and not want to play with Kyrie Irving. It just wouldn't have made a lot of sense. So really the third wheel in this whole thing was always going to be Kyrie Irving. And I just looked at that small thing. Every game, Kyrie Irving takes more shots than James Harden because Kyrie Irving is the shooting guard and James Harden is the point guard. If you want to go by that technicality that Kyrie brought up, but I just think, and, th and this is probably the, the thing I'm most encouraged by during this winning streak. They work together. And James Harden didn't work with Chris Paul nearly as well. James Harden didn't work with Russell Westbrook nearly as well. And maybe it's the fact that Durant is there. Even though he isn't playing, he's there. But those two guys, it is fit. And it's worked a lot quicker than I could imagine. And maybe that small thing that James Harden seems to take fewer shots than Kyrie every single night. Maybe that helps contribute. I, I don't know. I mean, you mentioned it earlier when James first got here, he was taking five, six shots a game. That was never sustainable. We needed to see a more aggressive James Harden, but that's the thing that's, I think, most encouraging right now. Those two guys fit and it's working and that's damn encouraging. Evan, Kyrie Irving was at his best when he was in Cleveland, and he had a guy named LeBron James who was the ball handler, and Kyrie could play off of him, and, and he could dominate in spurts when he would get the ball and become a scorer. To me, he's always been a shooting guard. You and I even talked about this last year a little bit, and Levert's not the same level as Harden, but get let Levert be the playmaker and let Kyrie be the guy that can come in and get baskets, can get shots, can be the scorer for them. So to me, this, this makes so much sense. 
Kyrie off the ball, he can go out there and score. It's perfect. Kyrie's not built to be the guy. He's not the guy that's the number one that can go out and lead a title team. That's not who he is. We saw that in Boston. It wasn't for him. But when he can be the number two, and in this case, the the, the incredible number three, that's what makes them so dangerous. Harden to Kyrie fits and makes sense. Now, if you take a step back and think about it, it's like LeBron getting Kyrie involved. Harden getting Kyrie involved. That's what makes this tick, not the other way around. And that has been such a difference for this Nets team to have Kyrie come off the ball. And yes, he has bought in and he's been good so far and it's all gelled. And that's what's enabled this Nets team to reel off some victories and be the team that's now playing in contention for the one seed in the East. Now, we touched on this a few weeks ago, but I think it's gotten realer over the last few days. And that's the idea of trading Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, there was a report probably about four or five days ago that the Nets are shopping Spencer Dinwiddie. He is their most, uh, 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 their most um, attractive trade chip that they have right now. And what we touched on a few weeks ago was very simple. If they don't have intent on re-signing him, if they don't want to go way over the luxury tax and pay a really hefty luxury tax bill, because they don't think it's worth it. And they don't think Spencer's role on this roster moving forward would be as important. So if you have no intent on re-signing him, then of course you should trade him. Well, what, what's the point of holding on to him? This weird fantasy that he's going to come back during the NBA Finals? It is very unlikely that Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be able to come back from this injury. They do have a disabled player's exception, which would go away if they traded him. So I do acknowledge that there is that set of value, which is only about four and a half million dollars they could use on a buyout or even a trade. But to me, if you're not going to keep them and I would because it ain't my money, I pay plenty of money in season tickets and now single game tickets. So I would pay every freaking luxury tax bill known to man. I wouldn't care. But I'm also not Joseph Sy, and I have to be reasonable about it. If they have no intent on keeping Dinwiddie, it would probably make more sense to trade him now as opposed to working out a sign-in trade during the offseason because trading him now allows you to get a piece that could help you win right now. I think we both agree on that. If they're not going to keep Spencer Dinwiddie long-term, then they absolutely should be speaking to other teams about, hey, what can we get for Spencer, right? Absolutely. And even if they're trading him to a team and in return, they're getting a player on a one-year deal and that guy's going to walk again. Who cares if it's a player that can help them achieve a championship or put them over the top or get a power forward or center that can help this team win basketball games. Yeah, you absolutely have to do it. And if other teams out there are like, Hey, we think Spencer Dinwiddie can be the key, you know, backcourt for us. And we're, we're willing to, to, you know, we're, we're, Fingers crossed on his health. We like what we saw with the Nets. He scored 20 points per game last year. This, If we get him on our roster, he can be a very serviceable guard. We can re-sign him and bring him in. Absolutely. Now, I don't personally know what the market is that a team that would want Spencer is, is out there. But if there's a team that's willing to do it, you got to go ahead and make you got to go ahead and make the deal. I mean, you got to make the move. And then you kind of look at it like if he was healthy, would he have somehow been part of the uh, James Harden trade? And did his injury stop him from being dealt and then became another trade chip later on? And it's, you know, it's kind of 
I, I hate saying it like that, but in the business sense, he's still on the roster and he's somebody that they could deal to get a player in return. If somebody feels that they have value with him in future years. So yeah, man, if, if, if there's a value, if there's a trade for Spencer Dinwiddie, you got to say, thank you for your service. We obviously helped you become a legit NBA player. You're going to get seriously paid in six months. Thank you for your time. Let's bring in whoever it is and, and go to war with these guys. Yeah, I think logically, if he was healthy, he may have been in the trade, but maybe spent, uh, maybe Jared Allen isn't in the trade. You know, maybe Sean Mark sure. says, all right, I'll give Houston an extra first round pick and I'll, you, I'll get it by way of trading Spencer Dinwiddie. So that's the way it could have worked out if Dinwiddie was healthy, but it's water under the bridge. He isn't healthy. I get his value. Like, I totally get why a team like Atlanta or Detroit or whomever, even the Knicks, even though that would never happen, I get why he has interest. You get his bird rights, and it gives you the inside track on re-signing Spencer Dinwiddie. You right out of the gate, you could offer him the most money. So I see why he has value. I guess what I've had a tough time, and I've, I've sent a few to you, not that I would necessarily make the trade, but how did things match up? Because Spencer Dinwiddie is the only big contract the Nets really can or will trade. They're not trading Joe Harris. They're not able to trade DeAndre Jordan. So, and obviously the superstars aren't going anywhere. So Spencer Dinwiddie makes about $11.5 million. So you basically have to match up the number or there's multiple players that can get close to that number. And I think you got to be within, I'm no salary cap expert, though I've certainly tried to learn. You got to be within 20% of that number, something like that. So I think the Nets could take back $14 million or they uh, could give away, yeah, give back $14 million or, or take back $8 million. I Honestly, I'm confusing myself. The point is, if Detroit's interested, and that's one of the teams, are you trading Spencer Dinwiddie for Mason Plumley? Like, is that a deal you'd make? And I, I kind of feel dirty about it because I think Spencer Dinwiddie is worth more. Now, can they trade Spencer to Atlanta and get John Collins? The opposite of what I just said. I think Atlanta would want more. I think Atlanta would say, wait a yeah. second, that's not enough. Now, would I do that? Yes. And then I would max the crap out of John Collins. I'd pay that luxury tax and I'd keep him long-term. So I, I've tried to figure out deals that make sense. Or Spencer Dinwiddie for Clint Capella. There's your big. Would Atlanta do that? I don't really know. So... <laughs> I don't know where the Spencer Dinwiddie rumors really lead and who's realistic to bring back. Yeah, the Plumley one is interesting because it, it is a fit and it's a guy that's not as good as Spencer, but at least it makes sense in a short-term rental idea of, I don't know, his contract situation, but Plumley makes sense in the roster. But then the other problem is it's like, all right, you're dealing Spencer for Plumley. It's like you just have so many guys that are just, it's like Jeff Green, Mason Plumley, Landry Sham. You don't have any... But I guess that's the buyout and trade market. You're just you're not going to get a difference maker. You're just going to get a guy that you can throw in there, and then you hope that he's a valuable part when it comes down to the stretch. But there's no one. It's just like it's just Mason Plumley, and you hope you get him on a good night. You know, like big whoop. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I again, but he could I be lean good. Towards, I, I don't know. I lean towards dealing him if you don't have intent on keeping him. But yes, yes. here's what it comes back to for me, man. I would keep him because, and I know it's easy for me and you to say we're not paying the luxury tax bill, but I think Spencer Dinwiddie would have a very big role on this team moving forward. We see how small they go. I mean, we've seen Bruce Brown virtually play center at times. We've seen Joe Harris play the stretch four. 
Spencer Dinwiddie can fit in that. Mm-hmm. Like he would be a part of that lineup of doom or whatever the hell you want to call it. The, the Nets version of a death lineup. He would play. He would be significant. And if guys get hurt, which clearly happens, I mean, we're seeing that this year. I, I hope the Nets are able to re-sign Irving, Durant, and Harden to the point where they all finish their careers here. You're going to need depth because these guys are not going to play 82 games a year. So, yeah, if you're not going to keep them, shop them. But I stand by the fact that I would lock, I would try to lock them up long-term. And I understand it's a two-way street. Spencer has to be interested as well. He may look at this and say, yeah, I don't know if I want to spend the next four years of my career here. I want to be a starter. I want to play 35 minutes a night. I want to be a star. Mm-hmm. And if that's how he feels, then, well, nothing can change that. He can go and he can leave. And I, I respect if that's what he wants. But on the net end of things, I still lean towards keeping them long-term unless I was getting John Collins back in a trade. Then it's a little different. <laughs> yeah, John Collins is a no-brainer. I think Dinwiddie's going to want to go. I think I think he's about to hit the prime of his career, and he's as much fun as it would be to win a championship. I don't know. I'm thinking from my perspective, if I was him, I'd be ready. I'd put on all this effort. I'd put in all this work. I'd want to go maybe not to a bad team, but a team where I could get serious minutes, help them contend for a playoff spot, basically – you know, be a guy that could be a fringe NBA all-star player and get the, basically go to the Knicks and, and and lead them. Like that would be a good fit for him to go there and be a guard there to go alongside quickly and have a nice dynamic backcourt. I don't know if, I, if I'm dealing with, I think I would want to go. Maybe you have your one season this year to win the title and then try to move on. But again, that's not from a Nets perspective. That's just from a Dimwitty perspective and who the hell knows what he really wants to do. I I was able to make this trade work on the trade machine, Spencer Dinwiddie, and you've got to throw in a few guys to make the contracts work. So I threw in Tyler Johnson and Nicholas Claxton. Not that Nicholas Claxton's a throw-in, but I think this team would want him, and they would get back Aaron Gordon, who I think we've mentioned a million times over the last two years. So fit-wise, that makes sense. (laughs) What do you think? Would you make that trade? Aaron Gordon's practically a net at this point. I'm like, why didn't Aaron Gordon play last night? What was he out for the Nets? Well, what's going on there? He's been in so many. He's been in every Spencer Timothy trade room I've ever heard. No, I know. I know. And I, I've suggested it a million times as well. We'll see. I I don't know, man. I mean, I, I would hope that if Sean Marks has been given the approval to spend at any cost to win a championship, that I would have a conversation with Spencer and just say, be honest with me. We look at you as a long-term fit here. If you don't, let us know, and we'll we'll look to make a move. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I mean, I think that has to be a part of the conversation. Uh, they got two more games before the break. The Spurs in San Antonio at Houston against the Rockets. James Harden's return. I don't know how many fans will actually be there. I think we both predicted they would just run the table and continue the winning streak. That obviously mm-hmm. ended with the Dallas game. But are we confident they're going to win these next two games and go into the break? I guess that would make them 24 and 13. Are you, you feeling good about that or no? Split. I'll take a split. Yeah, I kind of lean split. towards that, too. I've never, seen towards them go that. Into, I've never seen them go into Texas now. This was the Mavs, I guess, was in Brooklyn. But I've never seen them do that, like, Texas triangle and win all the games. It never happens. Yes. I mean, winning in San Antonio is not something that <laughs> happens. It's not something they've done very often. They did do it. Now they lost last year in San Antonio. Now I'm thinking, when was the last time the Brooklyn Nets or the New Jersey Nets defeated the San Antonio Spurs in San Antonio? The finals? <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. Hold on a second. When was the last time they won in San Antonio? All right. I'm back in two. Yeah. 
You're right. The last time they won a game in San Antonio was the NBA freaking finals. They had a chance two years. They had a chance two years ago uh, when they were in San Antonio. This was the D'Angelo Russell team. They were that game. They blew late. I want to yes. say yes. Yes. That's unbelievable, man. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a, a that's tough. <laughs> that's a that's a house of horrors that they've had playing that playing that team in that on the road like that. I mean, they're look, they're always good. We know that. But yeah, they haven't beaten the San Antonio Spurs in San Antonio, Texas since the NBA finals. Since game two of the NBA finals. And God knows Crazy. they blew game six of the NBA finals. Wow. Man. All right. Yeah, well, on is, that note, is... now I'm depressed. Yeah, that is crazy to think. And I have vivid memories of that game and uh, Steven Jackson missing that shot. Man, oh, that's crazy. God, with Steven Jackson, I thought that shot was going down. I mean, honestly, I, I remember that play. Jeez. All right. Well, hopefully they get a victory. Now, starting next week here on the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast, and I'm going to do this on the Evan Roberts Podcast as well, we're going to get more interactive than ever. For anybody listening, Mike and I record this via Zoom. It's the way everything's being recorded these days. And we were thinking, why not bring in a third person? Why not bring in another Brooklyn Net fan? And in the Evan Roberts podcast case, maybe another wrestling fan, maybe a Met fan. So we are going to find you on Twitter. If you want to be a part of the podcast and be a guest co-host with us, we're going to start to get interactive. So tweet at us, either one of us, Evan Roberts, WFAN, or Mike Delivers Pod, why you should join us as a co-host. Okay? We're going to get nuts. We're going to get crazy. So that's something to look forward to in the coming weeks. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.